0: For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies and sweatshirts, the TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Discussing the politics of the new European populism, Pella Neroth-Taylor, on today's News Talk,
1: TNT. Yes, hello, uh, this is the Pelle Neroth-Taylor show. Welcome to Truth Radio, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Sweden the country where i'm currently residing and but not about uh, the terrible decision to join nato which looks as if it's going to be finalized when hungary votes yes uh, very shortly perhaps even this week but um about uh, immigration um the um most of the, the news that you all have seen of sweden is that uh, the country's largest um, amusement park and uh, one of its main rides uh, bar- burned up the other day and looked very graphic in the newscasts we don't know if it's arson or something else or an accident and it actually coincides with with the, the small town i'm in there was a fire uh two nights ago which burned down the, the small it's called a folk park which is a sort of uh a dance hall with a couple of fairground rides and they're dotted all over sweden and it's where up-and-coming swedish artists make their career and it's attended by sort of elderly people you know it's the very very traditional parts of the, the Swedish life. Um, and we don't know if that was arson, if it's a trend or if it's an accident or that someone looking for insurance money. Anyway, um, the uh, with this thing about immigration, I mean, you've, got, you've just got to get it right. And I don't always get it right. It's it, it, Sweden is more or less safe. I mean, you can walk down the street and see no indication of a society in collapse by any means. Um, and uh, if you squint a little bit and go to the right places it's as if nothing's happened in the last 40 50 years and the murder rate which is a sort of proxy for everything else is about 50 percent up on the very low figure of about 10 or 15 years ago but it still puts it on on the european average so i mean life can be lived as normal in sweden but immigration has uh, made a mark it's um uh, expected to be the most muslim country in europe in the year 2050 and um and something like a third of the population has a, a migrant background and this formerly homogeneous country has changed very much in its demographics if you go to the swimming baths or a primary school you'll see 70 to 80 of the population is is non-white and of course that's the future generations that said the worst predictions haven't turned out right now i just want to talk about another thing which is that um there's a, a very the, the, if you if you google sweden on twitter or if you Twitter search uh, Sweden, you'll find this video uh, with about 8 or 10 million views, which shows uh, a team from 60 Minutes Australia visiting uh, an ethnic suburb a few years ago uh, in the company of uh, of a Swedish um, alt-right journalist. And uh, they, they're battered about, some uh, Somali gang members turn up and uh, uh, they have to beat a hasty retreat into their people mover van and drive off and th- these this experienced team led by i think one of australia's most famous journalists uh, looked rather sort of disconcerted i mean they've been to war zones and, and nothing like that had happened the whole situation was saved by the intervention uh, of an elderly swedish man in his mobility scooter who rammed the leading gang member who'd been uh, throwing rocks or something at the uh, australian cameraman anyway um i had played a small part in this um because uh, the swedish alt-right journalist was a friend of mine whom uh, after the, the australian producer stephen rice called me uh, i was in the middle of my film and had a name as a guy an english-speaking guy who knew about the situation in sweden uh and he recommended i recommended uh, jan frunesson as his name and so without uh, my intervention, Jan Froonason would never have led them around the suburb. Anyway, I just want to talk a bit about this guy, Jan Froonason, because he was uh, uh, a headmaster of an of a ethnically mixed school and a liberal, uh, anti hostile to Islam, uh, but worried, I should say, about the rising crime and so on. And he um, wrote a little bit about that. I mean, I, I never saw him as a racist at all. He lived in India and had a half-Indian half daughter, and was one of those liberals he's not against immigration per se he rather likes the mixed society sort of highly educated tolerant guy but worried about radical islam worried about crime worried about tens and t- hundreds of thousands of met young men coming into sweden without any documents you know where they're from exactly the same thing that's happening in the united states now and it's happening in south africa which we'll come to in our next interview but he um he lost his job he was basically cancelled from his uh, job as a as a headmaster and i have followed his downward career since he's last time i heard he's working as um, a person who um, cares for old people in a very small town in sweden it was the only job he could get and a highly educated man who's written books and uh, he lives uh, with a the girlfriend there and he's dropped out and the interesting thing is he was all he was doing were saying the things that are actually now stand a currency in the new Sweden. So just two days ago, you had the news that from the government, government spokesman saying that uh, the big domestic problem is that sixty-two thousand people who uh, work for or work in uh, crime gangs. And of course, you have to take those figures with a pinch of salt. But it shows you that the Swedish mainstream are now talking about these things quite openly and how these gang members are infiltrating the justice system the welfare authorities, the casinos, and Sweden is a very country with a very strong state. So they're basically everywhere and basically rotting Sweden from the inside. So I'll add a caveat when I say Sweden looks safe. Things are changing slowly and uh, that money from an the, in, in the enormous tax uh, money that Swedes pay in is being diverted illicitly. And that is the number one domestic problem. This guy, Jan Huneson, was saying it five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, and he was never he's still cancelled. And that's really unfortunate thing. I tried saying to him that uh, the, the, in 1989 the Czech dissidents who'd spent 20 years as janitors and boiler room attendants for uh, seeking democracy and freedom in 1968 uh, when Russians marched in and then you had this normalisation period of extreme political correctness and all truth seekers were locked out of jobs. Uh, But he pointed out that these people had actually become uh, ministers afterwards, and uh, Yuri Densby is perhaps the most famous one. He walked from being a janitor one day to being foreign minister the next in the post-communist Czech government. But my friend, Jan Frunason, looks to be unremembered. But anyway, you can see that uh, video on uh, Twitter, and it's an exciting little vignette of uh, uh, late 2010s Sweden. Anyway, we're now going to uh, discuss uh, the rest of the day's news with um, Basil Valentine after a quick break. This is TNT Radio.
0: It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great People are talking about. vilifying MAGO. It's just not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi,
1: Basil. This is our news producer. Welcome to uh, the show. What have you got for us today in news terms?
2: Good day to you, Pele, and a uh, good day to our viewers and listeners all around the world. Aaron Bushnell is the man of the moment. Uh, he is the individual who set fire to himself outside the Israeli embassy in Washington yesterday, uh, which has now resulted, sadly, in his death. He was shouting, free Palestine, free Palestine, free Palestine uh with his last breaths but you wouldn't know it from the coverage in some of the mainstream uh, u.s media the new york times a man set himself on fire outside the israeli embassy in washington the police said reuters u.s airman sets himself on fire outside israeli embassy in washington Uh, uh, washington post active duty airman sets himself on fire outside dc's israeli embassy but no mention in those headlines of why he did it. And the reason he did it was because he felt he could no longer, as a serving member of the US armed forces, be complicit in the genocide taking place in Gaza. And this is his was his extreme form of protest. Uh, of course, this has ignited uh, a, uh, a storm on X, um with some extraordinary reactions um the the most interesting was someone who posted their brand aaron bushnell's martyrdom as an act of someone who is mentally ill and that is indeed how it is being framed uh but the sadistic carpet bombing of tens of thousands of civilians is completely rational and not a cause for extreme counter demonstration he represented Mm -hmm. an errant grain of conscience in a murder machine and caitlin johnston the australian commentator uh, described it as the most american thing that has ever happened a man set himself on fire outside the israeli embassy in washington doing it in protest at the genocide in gaza uh, and yet when the police turned up they were pointing guns at the man's body while uh, an bystander who was trying to save him yelled i don't need guns I need fire extinguishers.
1: That sounds horrific. I mean, um, I remember when you said that earlier today, um, that photograph of a Buddhist monk uh, protesting against the war in Vietnam in 1963 on fire. And that's, mm. we remember things by small things like that, which turn out to be absolutely, I mean, it's in all the history books. Uh, and I, I wonder if this is going to be a turning point. I mean, because it's such a symbolic event. And uh You know, what was the Stalin said? One death is is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. So people can maybe identify to this desperate veteran who kills himself, um, even though...
2: Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, some people are reacting in an extremely unkind way, saying it's one less Hamas supporter, you know, to have to deal with. Um, The positions on this whole nightmare are i think more entrenched and hostile than any previous conflict or political disagreement i've seen in my life Uh, really yeah without a shadow of a doubt there's more anger and hostility between the opposing sides and their supporters more intolerance of the other's position over this Mm -hmm. Uh, A complete disconnect, Peli. There's no real sort of meeting point. We heard at the top of the hour there about Netanyahu talking about eliminating Hamas terrorist battalions. Personally, I regard Netanyahu as the world's biggest terrorist and mass murderer, and he Mm. should be in jail. But instead, Mm. he still is, you know, uh, well, very recently, fated by world leaders. You know, he had Rishi Sunak, Mm. Ursula von der Leyen, and Joe Biden all queuing up to kiss the ring—it's absolutely obscene and indicative mm. of how this planet is inverted and has been turned. Well, t- on t- tell its us a little edge.
1: bit more about the debate than on what's going on on Twitter. Stroke X about—I mean, if the, there's no meeting of minds, I follow the Ukraine conflict, Russia quite closely, and there's very little meetings of minds there. Although there is, has been some sobering up on Ukraine, but it's funny how people can polarize on these positions. Um, yes it's almost if we're lacking something in our lives, we can sit there and are comfortable because a lot of these people are quite comfortable. We're all quite comfortable in in the West and yet we are preparing to die on these hills, you know, Um, what do you think is the um, reason why people are, I mean, what's the, what could, what could be a way out, a a, a way forward for a meeting of minds? I mean, I'm, I'm on the, pro-Palestine side on this particular issue but how could they persuade the pro-Israelis that uh, they have a point? Uh,
2: That's a very very good question you know the Palestinians have been systematically dehumanized for decades uh, and the situation on the ground in Gaza is only getting worse but the worse it gets unfortunately it seems the happier uh the israelis become uh there are now videos circulating on the internet i haven't seen any myself but they're widely reported they are really very harrowing of palestinian children eating animal feed and then subsequently clutching their stomachs in pain and in some cases dying Uh, meanwhile there are also videos of uh, israeli settlers civilians effectively dancing and eating while blocking aid from entering gaza uh, and mm. yet the international media would have you believe that the starving 10 year old is somehow guilty and deserving of mm. collective punishment and the uh, the dancing settler eating and blocking aid deserves our financial military and diplomatic support mm. make sense of that for me please penny
1: and there's also these pictures of Israeli soldiers uh, walking around uh, with women's laundry and stuff and uh, and teddy bears uh, from children's home. I mean, it, it's an incredible PR loss, isn't it? But it's it's really tasteless, and it will probably haunt Israel for a long time in to come. The,
2: absolutely. In the extreme, um, I've seen a post this morning of an Israeli soldier Uh stealing a pair of high heels from the ruins of a Palestinian house, which he has no doubt played a part in destroying, and saying that he's going to give these uh, smart shoes to his wife as a gift. I mean, this is really sort of off the charts, cruelty, sadism and st- i mean to say it's bad taste is an insult to bad taste belly it's just mm. it's just absolutely obscene uh, another image showed uh some women's underwear uh on the front of an armored vehicle again mm. looted from a palestinian house uh israeli soldiers rifling through people's personal possessions and thinking it's funny to display somebody's nightgown on the front of their vehicle I mean, these people mm. are completely sick, completely mm. sick.
1: Mm. And there's maybe a reason why the word chutzpah is a, is a Hebrew word, or is it Yiddish? Um, anyway, we've got um, anything on the diplomatic front? Uh, that well, um, I, I
2: mean, uh, only that, you know, as we heard there, Netanyahu says he's going to go ahead with the assault on Rafa, regardless of whether or not there's any exchange of hostages. So, uh, um, unfortunately, for all that, there are renewed peace talks i don't think uh, the Israelis feel they have anything at all to gain by stopping the killing except of course um you know uh, some minor PR clawback from the egregious position that they find themselves in around the world the uh, only other quick subject to mention is uh, Zelensky has finally released Ukrainian casualty figures which I remember six months ago, people were estimating at 300,000, and mm. he is admitting to 31,000 Ukrainian soldier deaths. So uh, I don't know. Well, a- apparently
1: that's, that's uh, the underestimate because the Israeli, um, Ukrainians don't want to pay out pensions or compensation to KIAs. So they underestimate that right. and they call them missing in action. But I, uh, I've been following this quite closely because everyone says, oh, Russia's not winning because the Ukrainians are not dying." But unfortunately... Um, I've got uh, links that so links to sk- Ukrainian television where you know senior officials admit let the fact slip that it's half a million. I'll see if I can dig that out. But if, it's the it's the main bone of contention between the pro and anti-Ukrainian uh, uh, debaters is is a number of dead. Anyway, it's tragic, whatever the number is, of course. Um, and of course, one what one one wishes it to be the lower number, but of course, if it is a lower number, then. You know the, the war can continue for much longer, so it's always a mixed, mixed uh, statistic, mixed anxiety, mixed uh, mixed feelings about those stats. Um, anyway, uh, we will continue tomorrow with tomorrow's uh, headlines. Let's uh, hope it's not t- t- too much more bad news. <laughs> find, can only... good, find a good news it's... story for us, Basil. I will. I'll try and I'll try and find something funny or uplifting for us tomorrow, Pelle. Uh, all right. Take care and talk to you tomorrow. Uh, This is uh, TNT Radio. On to the next guest.
0: TNT's David Curtin. The noise about this
3: is not out of any genuine concern for Navalny himself or his family, but this has been weaponized in order to bash Putin. And it seems that the media, the mainstream media, and the politicians in the West, the powers that be, have got what I would call... Putin derangement syndrome, which follows on after Brexit derangement syndrome and Trump derangement syndrome. Something is happening in the world that they don't like. They can't control. They've lost control of the narrative. They've lost control of what they want to happen. And what they want to do by this, by bashing Putin in the mainstream media, is to prolong this terrible war in Ukraine.
0: David Curtin on today's News Talk. TNT, a better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back to the pele Néroth-Taylor show. Uh, we've got our first guest here, who's Nick Stankovic, who's uh, with us from China. He's a geopolitical analyst and blogger and very, very uh, assiduous and perspicacious observer of events in Asia, I find. So I decided to invite him on, uh, Nick, I'm just going to tell you a little bit where I'm coming from. Um, the, I'm, I'm dreading this possibility you're from Serbia originally. So you'll understand the reference of a Franz Ferdinand moment. That is an assassination of a prominent leader or figure either from either side, either a false flag or, 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 or from the other side, uh, who which will set in train world war three so some people have speculated that trump will be assassinated uh, either by most likely by his own side and then blamed on the russians and that'll be a, a casus belli just as for, for the the archduke of um austria-hungary was assassinated in 1914 in bosnia and Sarajevo, and that led to world war w- world war one um or maybe putin or maybe uh lavrov when he's flying around the world or or maybe a Houthi missile which actually came from russia strikes a a big oil tank or a cruise ship as said it could be either side pretending to be the other and it leads to these asymmetric possibilities because here we are a population of eight billion whose fate might lie in the hands of either unaccountable western intelligence agencies or terrorists acting on their own behalf, but whom we think are behind, have intelligence agency backing. I mean, a, a guy with a man pad can start World War III. Anyway, we, uh, the, the places I've listed are in West Asia and Europe, but you are an expert on uh, Taiwan issues, and I haven't heard so much about the dangers there, but you told me about the danger of escalation over Taiwan and special, American special forces quite close to Chinese mainland. Tell us about what's going on there
4: yeah well that's kind of a new development um I, I think uh so many things going on right now China's or Asia is sort of on the back burner uh which is kind of nice but it's a, it's it's on the back burner also from a Western perspective which doesn't mean things are not happening uh, in Asia of course they people uh go to work every day and 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 have their issues and countries have their conflicts so it's a little bit out of the headlines but there's lots of things going on in fact uh, there's a couple of things that happened just in the last few weeks since the beginning of the year, really, um, in and around South China Sea elections in Taiwan, as well as a couple of, just the last couple of weeks around, uh, some Taiwanese islands. And so it's, lots of things are going on and, uh, currently I guess East Asia is not in the focus, but it's just this dangerous uh, place in terms of what you just mentioned, something happening, some sort of an event that might sort of spiral out of control because um a lot of the things are uh uh, a lot of the conflicts are really between the U.S. and China and I think we'll see what happens you know in U.S. elections but um there's a lot of people I believe in the U.S. who are uh really want to focus on China more than say Russia right
1: yeah I mean I I this um you could say escalation on the i mean I, I was amazed i thought taiwan was you know 100 miles away from the mainland a sort of safe distance right. but amazingly they have a piece of territory that's just within right. eyeshot shot right. of uh, of the mainland and what's more the americans have put some soldiers there that's incredible right.
4: so so, just tell us two about years. so we we we, yeah. we just got out of the we just had obviously uh, people probably know we we just had a uh, chinese new year holiday uh it's officially one week off uh official national holiday but it's actually two weeks so just before the chinese new year and this is the biggest holiday in china of course two days before it the taiwan uh, taiwanese ministry of defense announced that they were going to put some um u.s special forces green berets i believe on this tiny island which is five miles away from the mainland so the main people imagine taiwan but most people know you know it's 100 miles away from the mainland but they have this little island that's uh, really five miles away. And there's this small military presence there, but actually um, mostly th- there's a lot of tourism going back and forth between the mainland and Kinman Island. So it's really not a militarized island or anything. There's a small military presence there and a coast guard and what have you. So uh, by the way, so Trump in 2017 or 18, I believe he put several, uh, I think 20 US troops, on the island of Taiwan, they were trainers, they were marine trainers. So they were not, you know, full on gear. They they came for training, training, training in the Taiwanese military. But this was the first time the U.S. military was on the Taiwan island, and it was it was quite shocking. You know, and there was a response from the Chinese government and so on. But that was on the on the Taiwan island. And so this island, so they what they just announced two days before Chinese New Year is that they were transferring. They didn't say the number. It's assumed it's going to be, you know, two or three or five. I don't know, small number but the number is not important, nor is there significant, you know, they're also going to be so they said they were going to be stationed there on uh, permanently. So this is really sort of a you now have several US Special Forces, you know, five miles from a big city from Xiamen. So just to give some especially American audiences who those who know, for example, the, the Catalina Island, uh, hmm. across from LA, I looked it up, it's 30 miles away. So imagine there were some Chinese troops, for example, on Catalina Island. I mean, people would just be very shocked. Sure. But this is five miles. Of mm. course, it's five of them. It doesn't really matter. But so that was one thing that, that happened.
1: All right. So that's one more thing to keep an eye on. We'll come back after the, uh, the break for the news headlines. Uh, thank you, Nick Stankovich. Okay. This is TNT Radio.
5: Here we go again.
0: All right. Let's go. Here we go. Right. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Washington's resurrecting its Russia playbook, warning Moscow could try to interfere with this year's presidential election. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley suffered an embarrassing defeat, losing to Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. And Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to raid the city of Rafa, regardless of whether a ceasefire or hostage deal is agreed upon or not. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask a Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk. This is
1: TNT Radio. Welcome back to the pelenni Taylor Show. We are here on TNT, where you will get geopolitics without spin and with the truth. And with us is Nick Stankovic, who is an expert on China and who lives there at the moment and has told us about a worrying development and escalation in a region that we we'd sort of stopped worrying about for a bit. American special forces just a few miles away from the Chinese mainland. How many did you say there were?
4: Well, they didn't say, but we're assuming that it's a, it's a relatively small number. So I don't think the number is really uh, relevant. It's more right. of a fight. Yeah. So interesting enough, there was no reaction from the Chinese government. Uh, the Chinese government, uh, the Beijing government is now sort of in, uh, involved in trying to uh, improve relations with the U.S. after Xi Jinping's visit uh, to San Francisco and California a couple of months ago. So they're sort of on the, they're trying to improve those relations. Uh, and then this happened right before the Chinese news. So there hasn't really been a reaction uh, from the Chinese government uh, on this. Uh, and and we'll see if there is anything. However, something else happened on Kim, and I don't know if you want to mention it. Yeah,
1: I do talk about that. But do, do, sorry, do, do you think they're going to be there permanently, these special forces?
4: That was the announcement. That was the announcement. And interestingly right. enough, the announcement from the Taiwanese uh, Defense Department said that it's, um, It came after there was a bill in the U.S. Congress that passed a defense bill sometime in November, December. And because of that additional funding for training, I think that came out of that. So this is not a random event. It actually came out of something that uh, a bill that passed in the the U.S. Congress. I'm not quite sure what how, Hmm. how it relates, but
1: anyway we're, we're talking about a, a franz ferdinand moment the dangers of an escalation or a shooting or an event or an incident either deliberate or unintended and you had something else for us on that island and off that island which was very right. worrying. So,
4: so so you know this happened just before chinese new year then the chinese new year came and sort of everybody you know f- f- went celebrating um and forgot about it and then uh, along uh, during the holidays um there was a an incident uh, unrelated to these special forces, but there was a uh, fishing ship from the mainland that got in- intercepted by Taiwanese um, coast guard on the Kin or near near the Kinmen Island, and there was some sort of a, a altercation. It's not clear what happened, but there were two boats and four people on them, and two people died. This is mainland Chinese uh, citizens who died, and this has not happened in a very long time. I, there's been incidents where there were some deaths, you know, decades ago, but nothing really recently. And this has really shook up some people on the mainland. And uh, it has actually prompted a reaction from the Chinese government. So now the Chinese government is going to increase its Coast Guard uh, patrols around the Kinmen Island, which, you know, isn't particularly uh, crazy to think about it's it's just uh you know territorial waters but the, the pictures mm-hmm. that i've seen of some of those boats are pretty big so mm-hmm. uh it's a pretty strong reaction and this so of course w- happening in that context of those marines on 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 kinmen
1: do you think it was accidental or uh, you, i guess you don't know but i mean and were these these chinese fish were they fishermen or were they spies you know disguised no they fishermen? weren't spies they were
4: they were not they were in spies there was actually some rumors that they might have been there might have been some, some smuggling or uh, because Kinmen gets a lot of a lot of uh, food and everything else from the mainland. Mm -hmm. So nobody knows what happened. And, you know, obviously, people died. And I don't think it was a a provocation by 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 Taiwan by any means. It was, you know, these things sometimes happen. But of course, everything, you know, especially in light of this, everything just sort of now gets, you know, things sort of start Mm -hmm. rolling. um, And that's the danger.
1: What, just give us a, a scope out and some of the political situation in, in Taiwan for, for people who don't follow the issue closely.
4: Right. So so there was an election in, in mid-January. Um, there's essentially two parties in Taiwan. There's the KMT or the Kuomintang. This is the original party that fought the Communist Party of China in the Chinese Civil War back in 1949. And then that, that sort of came to the Taiwan island or escaped to the Taiwan island. And then there's the DPP, the progressive party, Democratic Progressive Party, which has had its president for the last, uh, I believe it's five years or 10 years. And um, so the DPP has won the presidential election again. They are slightly more um, sort of leaning towards, I wouldn't say independence, that's that's not what they're about at all, but they're slightly more pro-American. Um, and then, but however, they lost some seats in the uh, Taiwanese uh, parliament, it's called UN, And so, you know, they, they're continuing their presidential administration, but they will have a little bit less power. And I think it's um, it's going to sort of go in the same general directions. Uh, I, I, I sent you that uh, there was a uh, every year there's a uh, poll of public opinion among the Taiwanese and something like 90 percent of Taiwanese. Uh, are for the status quo, meaning mm. this just this situation, sort of of of, of um, uh, as it is right now, simply does not change. That is what the people in Taiwan want. There's a very so it's a kind of ambiguity,
1: isn't it? Right. It's, it's neither reunification with the mainland, which is actually right. the official position, isn't it, of the US and the UK and other countries. Nor independence, well, no. which might trigger a sort right. of reaction from China. Right. But I mean, right. effectively, they're independent, it, but it kind of uh, soothes right. China's amul pop by saying that that reunification is a long term right. goal. So the, the,
4: the, 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 there's been sort of this compromise where uh, everybody recognizes there's one China. Remember, Taiwan is actually Republic of China. So the Taiwan is just an island and it's just a uh, Republic of China actually makes claims to the entire China, including Mongolia. So, Yard. but of course they don't have control of it. And so the people Republic of China makes claim on the time. So it's, it's sort of this compromise where, okay, mm. nobody's going to really, uh, do anything by force and nobody's going to declare independence and everybody, you know, is, we're just going to trade. And actually another thing that people don't understand is there's a lot of trade between mainland and Taiwan, um, mm. uh, enormous amount of imports and exports. People come and go a lot of investment. So. Everything is sort of working and, um, you know, it's really these incidents uh, and sometimes they're really provoked by the US. The Pelosi visit was one of the most dangerous events, you know, in in recent history in that region, because that is one of the things that this uh, status quo arrangement does not allow is government to government relations between the United States and other countries and the government of Thailand. So uh, they can have cultural, economic relations. So all kinds mm. of relations but not government to government so pelosi coming in as an official on an official plane was essentially breaking that one china principle and, and that status quo which was very mm-hmm. dangerous
1: so well i mean it, it still it sounds interesting and let's hope that um um the the chinese i mean they china seems to be to be a very extremely uh, sensible country um i mean the the uh Completely non-aggressive, but hegemonic, and I, I, I sort of believe that when they say we have our own system, I mean, do you think that all the democracy talk by the West is
4: I, unhelpful? I think, so I've been, I've been living in China for 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 uh, essentially twenty years. Um, I have, uh, you know, the Chinese will let's put it this way: the Chinese will never give up Taiwan. Um, and they have a stated policy that if Taiwan declares independence, that they will, uh, uh, it will trigger re- reunification by force, just that mm. act. Right. However, um, China is now has a lot of things going on in the world, if you will, also internally, you know, they have a big economy, there's structural issues in the economy. As everybody knows, it's in the news that, you know, they have the belt and road, they have the, uh, you know, dealing with the Europe and the U S trade war and Taiwan is actually not very high on their priority list. They don't really want mm. to, uh, you know, uh, do anything and they don't really want to get involved. And so it's really about somebody provoking it, whether f- whether from Taiwan or whether somebody from the outside or third party that might provoke something. But I don't think mm. China really has uh, time and energy to deal with it and they're happy with the way things are because they've got bigger mm. fish to fry.
1: Well, let's hope no one rocks that uh, status quo situation and uh, create some. But uh, it sounds like out of the three or four uh, trouble spots in the world, uh, that's number three or number four even. Okay, Nick, uh, that's great. Thank you very much for that update on Taiwan and uh, very interesting to have you on and hope to talk to you again soon. Nick Stankovic, a geopolitical analyst from China, although of Serbian origin. Thank you very much, Nick. This is TNT Radio.
0: With his expert analysis and opinion
1: this is tnt radio's
5: timothy shea americans this week celebrated president's day or did we the answer of course is that we did not we celebrated george washington's birthday and possibly if you want to include abraham lincoln our 16th president whose birthday february 12th was given up for martin luther king day back in the 1980s but we definitely did not celebrate millard fillmore and james buchanan we didn't celebrate jimmy carter or bill clinton and we most definitely did not celebrate barack obama and stumble bum joe why does this matter am i just being picky and pedantic no it matters because words matter george orwell wrote the slovenliness of our language makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts put more colorfully blurry words carry deplorable thinking the way that mosquitoes carry malaria you should always question the dominant narrative whether it's that standard time going into daylight savings time is an artifact from our agrarian past when in actuality farmers argued against it when the progressives put it in 110 years ago. That the Republican Party and the Democrat Party flipped after the 1960s when that's demonstrably false. And even that red is the Republican color and blue is the Democrat color when again, the opposite is true. In fact, the opposite is always true what the dominant narrative seems to be. So question the words, or else you've lost the argument before it's even begun. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's news talk, TNT.
0: Most people are unaware that bad bacteria can grow quickly in food that's stored, prepped, or cooked incorrectly, and that can lead to food poisoning. To avoid bad bacteria, always make sure your hands and cooking utensils are clean. Keep raw meat and chicken away from food that won't be cooked. Run your fridge at or below 5 degrees Celsius and use a meat thermometer to ensure your meat's being cooked to at least 75 degrees Celsius. For more tips on keeping bad bacteria at bay, visit foodsafety.asn.au. Exposing the deep state and
1: government overreach. You're with Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the Pella taylor show, geopolitics without spin and much else. Uh, we're pivoting from continent to continent and I'm um, very pleased to welcome Jacques brudrick from South Africa, whom I met uh, not so long ago uh, when I was down there. Uh, he works with AfriForum, which is this sort of um, think tank policy unit, but also uh, carries out active patrols uh, in a country where borders are practically open to the outside world. And, of course, open borders is a huge issue now in the United States and Europe. And uh, Jacques and his team uh, are doing their best to bring people's attention to South Africa's open borders, which they uh, very cleverly and very accurately, in my uh, opinion, uh, associate with uh, South Africa's economic uh, malaise. Uh, and they've even made a couple of documentaries, which have a very high quality, that show us uh, what they're doing to prevent the open borders from becoming an absolutely even bigger problem than it already is. Welcome, Jack. How are you? G'day. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. I remember a our, our very entertaining and uh, educational day out uh, two years ago, I think it was. So, Jack tell yeah tell us about the these documentaries that you made because um i really want them to reach a very wide audience because they show the south african uh, border problem in in its stark starkness uh there's one called the carjackers carnival can you start with that
3: sure then if you don't mind uh i'd just like to give some background and context as to how we got involved in in this and why we're involved in this um so africa forum is a civil rights organization but among other things one of the aspects that we tackle is uh we try and solve the problems that is caused by the the lack of governance in south africa so one of those major issues is crime so over the last couple of years we've um, established 172 civilian um, safety organizations countrywide which we refer to as neighborhood watches which comprise of volunteers um, who patrol their own neighborhoods and their own communities and actively fight crime. Um, And we provide them with training and equipment and um, and set up the networks and support them uh, legally uh, so that these guys do actually have a chance of of safeguarding their communities. Now, we happen to have uh, quite a few of these structures in border areas. Um, uh, As you would know, South Africa's uh, border control is absolutely non-existent. Um, It has been since the ANC government has taken over power in this country, um, and it's ready to become a free-for-all. And um, apart from all the other major issues that obviously come with, with so-called open borders, uh, the communities in these border areas are obviously hit by crime very hard. And uh, that's why we, we we focused on what our community safety structures in those border areas are doing to protect themselves and their communities. So uh, one of the documentaries that, we've, that we made was called The Carjackers' Carnival, which focused on the border with Mozambique. And um, while we, we phrased it that, is because one of the major issues there is, is stolen vehicles that get uh, vehicles that get hijacked, stolen in South Africa, and then just um, driven across the border into Mozambique, where they get redistributed to other parts of Africa. Um, often end up in conflict zones, or they're recycled. They stripped the parts, and the parts are sold back, shipped and smuggled back into South Africa and resold on the black market. Yeah, so it's um, quite a, quite an interesting uh, uh, carnival effect that's going on there.
1: Yeah, I'll just add uh, some detail in saying that, I mean, South Africa is an interesting country because parts of it are sort of feel very first world or w- well off. Uh, and it's there on the southern tip of Africa, which is the world's poorest continent, where some people own literally nothing. And so you have this enormous contrast. And I think the border there starts with Mozambique, as it were. Mozambique's a very poor country, isn't it? And uh, at the same time, so it's, uh, it's this border between First world and third world, or global south and the west, or whatever you want to call it. I think it's much bigger than Mexico, which is a, and the United States, which is an issue of concern for, for our American audience. Uh, and you're saying that there, there are no controls. Um, the ANC government is this black run government that's been in power since 1994. Why, why do you think they don't care about uh, border controls?
3: Well, it's politics um you have to look at things in from a historical perspective so the old national party government was very strict regarding border control because obviously the african national congress uh guerrilla fighters used to come in across the borders from other countries and and try to perform terrorist attacks in south africa um which they didn't often very carry out very successfully but they tried so border control was a very strict element of of governance um, under the previous regime and when uh, the african national congress took power um, there was quite a big public relations move from them to soften border control, um, to show that they're open towards Africa, there's change in the country. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of where it started. Uh, from there on, it's just carried on to be a political issue. Um, we know that you have parties like the Economic Freedom Fighters who openly invite illegal immigrants into the country to come and, and live here. They believe in a borderless Africa. Uh, I'm not sure how much logic went into that, but that's that's what they promote. Um, and then you have the African National Congress government who on the one hand tries to pander to South African citizens who are fed up with with the issues that are being caused by these open borders. And on the other hand, uh, also trying to pander to some kind of international pressure, trying to pretend to be to be soft on border control. Um, so everything that comes from government, every effort that they've ever made in the last few decades to, to tackle this problem has been a public relations exercise uh, without mm-hmm. nothing ever actually coming into creation on the ground.
1: So basically they they're saying... You know, we South Africa, we're a moral exemplar for the third world or the global south, and we have to invite people in because these are our fellow Africans. And though it's a very very political move to to stake out their leadership. And and do these migrants, I mean, there are millions of them because they've changed the demographics of South Africa. And what I heard is that your infrastructure hasn't caught up. So you don't have enough power stations and and, and water supply problems because of this growth in population. Is that right?
3: That is correct, but I wouldn't say that's solely to 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 blame on illegal immigration. Uh, the population has grown. The, the African National Congress simply hasn't done anything to develop infrastructure or to even maintain the basics. Um, so you know, it's, uh, I won't say that the issues caused here are solely that of illegal immigration, but it definitely is a massive problem. Um, the amount of people who are in the country legally is impossible to determine, but it must be in the millions. Um, it's it's estimated to be a couple of million.
1: And do these people get the vote? Um as uh, said i mean the democrats are trying to change the demographics of uh, america so that there'll be a permanent democratic uh, government you know even though they're running the country down apparently so uh, what's well, look, going on in south africa
3: yeah um officially no no um they're not allowed to vote so you're not allowed to vote if you're not a citizen you don't have a, a, a south african id um, but this is south africa and as you mentioned earlier on it's an interesting country And as um, one uh, illegal Zimbabwean once told me, if you have enough money in your pocket, um, when you get to the border, you're guaranteed to get to Johannesburg in the same way that you can make anything happen in this country. So um, I won't be surprised if there are illegal um, immigrants voting in our elections, but it's not supposed to be the case, no.
1: Tell us about the other film that you made. Just remind me of the title Um, that... um, there's Carjackers' Carnival, and then there was another one which I thought was equally interesting.
3: Yes. Uh, well, we, we made three three documentaries in this series. The first one focused it was just called Open Borders um, because we weren't planning on making sequels, but uh, and that focused on the Zimbabwean border. So uh, I think that's the first one to start off with. Um, mm. Then we did uh, the Carjackers' Carnival, and then we did um, the one that focused on the border with Esotini and with Swaziland, which was called um, mm. uh, Cannabis and Cattle Theft.
1: Right. I haven't seen the third one, but the one about Zimbabwe is interesting. I've always been fascinated by Zimbabwe because I've got friends who grew up in Rhodesia and, uh, you know, it's, it's a British, there's a lot of British sentimentality uh, surrounding that. Um, the I, I, I remember talking to one of your colleagues in Afroforum saying that you can buy practically anything on the border, that the river's dried up. Is it the Limpopo River that used to that linked that uh, separated South Africa and Zimbabwe? and you can buy coca-cola cans or you can buy kalashnikovs so is it um is there a lot of weapon smuggling and stuff like that coming in through um through this open border
3: everything that you can think of comes across that border uh firearms yes lots of them illegal cigarettes major problem um, which has uh, obviously has a very large knock-on effect on the, on the tax base in south africa i think it the last time it was i read it was estimated that south africa loses about 4 trillion rand a year to to Mm -hmm. illegal cigarette smuggling, and that was even before the lockdown. Um, During lockdown, we know that that market got a big boost with our illogical ban on smoking. But um, so yeah, it's firearms, it's it's cigarettes, uh, obviously human trafficking, illegal immigrants, um, rhino horn and other poached animal products also smuggled across that border. Uh, Another big issue is explosives that come from the mining industry in Zimbabwe, which is uh, brought across the border and then used in cash and transit robberies in South Africa or to uh, during ATM bombings and also in the illegal mining industry in South Africa, which is another major problem, which we can uh, also discuss a little bit later. Um, yeah. So yeah, anything comes across that border. Um, but you mentioned the Limpopo River that dried up. Well, the Limpopo River um, is seasonal. So um, during the winter months, it tends to, to dry up in most parts. And then during the summer months, it's flooded again. Um, full to the brims and filled with crocodiles, but that doesn't stop these smugglers. Uh, They simply simply use rubber ducks and electric boats to bring those things across. And uh, so often in full view of the South African military.
1: Yeah. I saw this amazing clip of um, horses or donkeys dragging a very expensive four wheel drive across the river and the river was in full flow. So it's a kind of funny juxtaposition of a primitive mode of transport bringing a, uh, a recently stolen across, across to Zimbabwe and further afield, I guess, where it's sold for big money in the rest of Africa. Now, I do, we've, um, you, you, you have, you set up these patrols uh, on the borderlands. Um, doesn't the regular South African border patrols or police kind of feel that you're getting in on their turf? I mean, do you have a conflict with them? I mean, do they think you're butting in?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, we actually had, our neighborhood watches and safety structures countrywide have a very good working relationship with police force and and law enforcement on ground level because they appreciate the effort that these volunteers are doing. They see they see that they are uh, um, adding to the effort and they are making their own work easier you know, where they're still trying to do it. Um, unfortunately, there there is political interference from higher levels. So what happened, especially if you look at the Messina border, for instance, uh, we had a very good working relationship there with um, officials from the the um, from the south african revenue service uh, the customers agencies the military and the police but when we released this first documentary about uh, what we do on the board and how we've successfully we've been doing it uh certain phone calls got made and our guys got told that there will no longer be any cooperation with it and those were instructions from the top so that's the illogical uh political ideology that we're dealing with here at the moment these are guys who are volunteering their time their safety putting their lives on the line to help protect the communities and to help make the work of the South African law enforcement agencies easier. And they do it very successfully. And uh one phone call from a political ideologist and and that's brought to an end. Mm.
1: Um the the I, I don't know if you can scope we can scope out a little bit and talk about Afroforums' other activities because one of your um, colleagues was a sort of political guy and he said, Well, you know, we're looking um to create communities that uh, we the Afrikaners are quite vulnerable I mean I spent most of my time in South Africa with the Afrikaners which I think I'm very very glad I did because most journalists spend a lot of time with Anglo speakers and get sort of ANC view of things and I'm very glad I spent time with you guys but you're sort of saying that um, well you know we we can create like ink-blocked communities that will grow together consisting of Afrikaner speakers and you'll keep your lives as it were a little bit separate from the chaos of the rest of South Africa. Would you say that's one of Afroforum's uh, goals and aspirations?
3: Yeah, it definitely is. Um, what, we, what we talk about the term that we use is we try to state-proof communities uh, because the South African state has become this ever-devouring leech that is just sucking taxpayers dry and not delivering any of the services it's supposed to. Um, large parts of the country are simply falling apart. Infrastructure... Um, water pollution, many parts of, of the countries, the, the water is not usable anymore, you can't drive on the roads, you, you hardly can, um, crime is out of hand. So so it's it's such a massive knock-on effect of these decades of absolute, this careless attitude that the South African government's been having towards its citizens. So what we try to do is we try to empower communities to state-proof them. So we try to, to get communities as independent as possible uh, from, from the government and any government services.
1: Mm. Well, it's interesting because um, you have these parallel local government, don't you? I mean, you have the ANC, seem to never seem to run things like sewage and so on. And then you have, on top of, and that your all your tax money goes to that, but then you have volunteer services that actually clean up the cities. So it's hard to, to categorise Afroforum because some pictures have you sort of doing uh, cleaning, painting, uh, painting houses and cleaning up the rubbish on the streets sort of thing which is the sort of thing you want to attract investment. It's, a, it's, a, it's the opposite the broken windows theory in New York in the 1980s. If you didn't break the windows, you'd attract, people would stop committing further crime and have some respect in their community. And that's sort of what you've been doing as well. You try to clean up towns and try and attract tourism and, and money and so on. At the same time as you do so, these patrols, yeah.
3: Yeah, what, what AfriForum does is, is we have a two-pronged strategy that we call a bow strategy. In English, they would translate to a fight and build strategy. So on the one hand, we're fighting against corruption, we're fighting against the the, the, mm. the, the theft and and the the, the lackadaisical attitude of the South African government, and we try to make a difference where we can, uh, filing, uh, taking legal action, and taking these guys to task. And then on the other part, we're building up communities from ground level upwards. Um, because mm. although we're trying to fight to prevent this decay from spreading faster, we don't have any doubts that it is going to spread, and that's why mm. we believe in building communities from the ground level upwards.
1: Okay, so you talked about state proof. Does that mean that at some point you'd like to create your own state within South Africa?
3: Um, I think that's a, 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 a it would be a very very touchy subject, especially with the Cape independence movement going on at the moment. But that's not the primary primary focus at this stage. At this stage, the primary focus is to simply get communities so that they can function um, b- hmm. before anyone can talk about selling the different states or or or, you know uh, private states or anything like that we need something that you want to have a state over so I that's that's the first priority at this stage just to get communities to be more self-reliant and more state-proof and to if Mm. if we can play some kind of role in implementing a more of a federal system um that would obviously be a big bonus
1: Mm. well it's interesting when i i I was only in Joburg pretoria but people I spoke to the Afrikaners. i spoke to you spoke dreamily about cape town as a place where south africa actually seems to work so so western the western cape it seems to work much better than than the rest of south africa anyway jack we've got to uh, wind up now i've just got the studio telling me to do this so uh, we'd love to have you on again to talk about the the freelance mining fantastic story jack broderick from south africa thank you very much this is tnt radio